Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. And as you're making your way back, um, I know during announcements, especially if you're new to the church, it can feel like a lot of information. If you um, ever don't catch all the information, we have a paper bulletin that you should have gotten, or you can go out to our Connect Center and Welcome Center, and they can answer any questions that you might have. Just want to underscore two announcements, especially if you're new to the church, or you feel like I'm disconnected at times from people in the church. If you're a lady, please go to the women's event that is at the local coffee shop right across the street from Tire Express on Philadelphia Street. And... Um, for everyone, sign up for the dig-in dinners. That is just a fun, uh, laid-back atmosphere where you get to know a group of people in the church, and you'll get paired. You don't get to pick, so that might be a little scary, but they pair you with, with people in the church um, and so that you get to know people. So please check those two things out. You can go out to our Connect Center at the end of the message today to um, sign up. So let me pray. We're going to be in the Book of Job today. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your great power and love for us, most clearly seen in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you love to open our eyes wider to see more of you. And we ask that you would do that today, and we will give you all the praise, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are in a kind of an overview five-week series of the book of Job. This is the fourth week, and this is called Insights from Job, Mighty is Our God. And I'm going to do another overview of Job 38 through chapter 41, verse 34. So we're going to hit some of the main ideas there in a moment. So if you have your Bible, you can flip it along. If not, everything will be projected behind me, so you'll be able to see that. But before we get into the, the, the passages today, I want to ask you a couple questions. And I want you to think of toddlers, okay? So picture any toddlers that you know. Maybe your grandparents, maybe you have toddlers. Maybe your neighbors have toddlers. I want you to picture a one to two to three-year-old child, okay? Got a specific one in mind? Well, I have three children. They are no longer toddlers. One is 16, one is 14, and one is 10 years old. But Isaac, our oldest, when he was baby, we were really excited. And like any naive new parent, we really wanted him to walk. We were really excited about that. We didn't really know what that meant, but we thought that was a good thing. And we would wait and wait and wait. And finally, one day, he walked. And when he began to walk, he also began to take over the apartment that we lived in. And any toddler from that age one to let's say three, especially it seems to peak out at two, they love to impose their will on whoever is around. And so they are born with this inherent uh, right that they are in charge and they know best. And each of my children express that in different ways. My son Isaac, who is now a very laid back 16 year old, was a very angry two-year-old and so he would if we would say no he would pound himself in the head with his own fist not a very bright two-year-old he's a very bright 16-year-old um, but not a very bright two-year-old but he did not like 
us being in charge of him at times as a two-year-old. My daughter, who was 14, she had a different expression. She would just scream hysterically for long periods of time when she would not get her way. And it it was rather effective. It it got her attention. And then my 10-year-old, who is by far our most energetic of the three children, he would just run and move nonstop. So, and he was our third child, so we were not as energetic as we were with the first one. So we were just kind of out of energy, and they all wanted to impose their will. And they all, at some point, related to my wife and I, Mary and I, as peers, as equals, even though they were entirely dependent on us. They didn't know there was a difference. Why are we talking about toddlers? Because I think in the book of Job, especially in chapter 38 and following, Job in many ways made the mistake that many toddlers or all toddlers make, which is Job, as he went through his suffering that was prolonged and pronounced, he began to relate to God as an equal, as a peer. He was was beginning to demand answers to his suffering and his questions. And Job was missing the gap, the difference, which is a far greater difference between God and man than it is between a parent and a toddler. But Job had a similar tendency. And in the chapters we're going to look at, God is going to bring some adjustment to Job for Job's good and care. But since some of you probably haven't heard the other messages, just by way of review, if you're not familiar with the Bible and the book of Job, it is a true account of very pronounced human suffering. And it it grapples with some of the ultimate questions. God is there. Why is all this happening? If I've been obedient, why am I in misery? And by way of review, Job lost Ten of his children, ten of his children were died or were killed tragically. He lost most of his wealth in a sudden swift moment. He lost his reputation. His relationship with his wife was severely strained because of his trial. His relatives' relationship with him was very strained. His close friends' relationship with him was very strained. And then to top it all off, he was inflicted with a deadly, or what he thought to be a deadly skin disease that that was so painful and miserable that in chapter 3 of the book of Job, he pleads with God, it would have been better if I had never, ever lived. And so it's the peak in many ways of human suffering. And as the chapters go on, Job begins to get more expressive and more demanding of God. And his friends keep blaming him for his suffering. And and he really was a blameless man before all this happened. But he was certainly not blameless during his suffering. And I think it has a lot of relevance to us, to our present day situations particularly if you're walking through something difficult right now. The big idea I think we're going to look at today is God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Just like the parent-toddler, parents are parents, 
Toddlers are not. They're not in charge, even though they want to be in charge. God is God, and we are not. Therefore, we must bow, worship, and trust him. So insight number one, we must never take the position of almighty God. We must never take the position. We must never think we're on the same playing field with the living God, maker of heaven and earth. And we must certainly never think we are above him in any way. See, Job began to slide that way as life got more difficult, as the trials went on for a much longer duration. And you can look this up on your own, Job 31, 35 through 37, where Job begins to question God. And one of the big ideas of the book of Job, especially these chapters we're going to jump into, is seeing God for who he truly is. See, Job, though a believer in God, because of his circumstances, he began to get a very cloudy vision of who God was. And so God strongly reminds him of who he is, that God is perfect, that God is powerful, that God is all-wise, that God is all-knowing, that God is trustworthy, that God has not forgotten Job. And he, in many ways, wants Job to get the reality that Job is a creature and God is his creator. There's a massive gap. And it's good and healthy and right to know the difference. So let's just, by way of reminder, let's revisit who who is God? Who is this God that we sing to and worship? In the first sentence of the Bible, we get a truckload of truth that should shape so many things about our lives. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says, In the beginning, so when there was nothing but God, God created the heavens and the earth. God made all things, and we know he did that by speaking them into existence out of nothing. So when we make stuff, particularly those of you who are handy, you make stuff out of stuff. If you're a painter, you have paint, and you make a painting. If you're a carpenter, you gather wood, and you make a piece of furniture. If you're a potter, you get clay, and you make a pot. God made out of nothing. See, I think sometimes we, we become so familiar with these really basic Bible ideas that we forget that that means he's the one we answer to. He's the one in absolute control. He's the one who deserves to be worshipped. He's the one who should be talking a lot more than us. See, we should be primarily listeners, and he should be the primary speaker. But when life gets hard, there's something in the human condition, myself included, that I start speaking a lot more and listening to the Lord a lot less. And God wants to adjust that. I tell my kids at times that God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we should use them proportionally, right? We should listen more than 
we speak. Now, if they're in the room, they might say, well, you should do that too, Dad, and that's right, I should, and I'm slowly growing in that. So God shows up for the first time in Job's life verbally in chapter 38. See, we have the whole book, so we know that behind the scenes, we know there was an agreement with Satan. Keep in mind, Job knows none of this. So when we, we jump in here at 38, you've got to look at it from Job's perspective. He's buried 10 of his children. He is so physically grotesque that, that children don't even go near him. They make fun of him. They sneer at him. He, at one point in the, in the book of Job, he's scraping the sores with broken pieces of pottery. I mean, he's in absolute misery. And throughout Job, the question of why is this happening is a big theme. The counselors give their reason why, which was wrong. Job has his own questions about it. So you would think when God begins to speak, maybe he's going to tell them why. And he does nothing of the sort. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, out of this swirl of wind. Remember, he's been silent. We've got a, a sufferer. This is the first thing Job hears from the Lord. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? The very first thing the Lord says is a correction to Job. Gets worse. Dress for action like a man. Put on your fighting clothes, Job. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So God is giving some guidelines. He's reestablishing his authority in Job's life. I'm the king, you're the creature. And it might sound harsh, but we're going to see it is not harsh. It is, if you want to be happy, like deep down, completely satisfied, thrilled, happy, it comes by bowing before the Lord and really recognizing who he is and who you are. So he adjusts Job, and this first adjustment is a big one. And he's going to begin to ask him a series of about 70 questions. The first one being, verse 4, where were you? Where were you, Job, who is darkening my counsel, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Job, where, where were you? When I was speaking stars and galaxies into existence, when I was telling the, the, the ocean to come this far and no further, where were you? See, this is a severe adjustment. Now, um, over the years, I've had back issues, and, and, and uh, we have uh, several chiropractors in the church, and, and Matt Sleppy is one of them, and I, I've gone to him for a number of years. And what brought me to him originally was I was like this, I couldn't move, and I come into his office like this, and he says something like clever, sort of smart, like, is there a problem? <laughs> or something to that effect. And he, he watches you from the party. He already knows what the problem is. He's got a great mind for this stuff. Well, when, when I come in like that, 
um, the adjustment's going to be rather intense and on the more severe side because I got issues that need stronger correction. Now, for the last number of years, I go monthly and just get adjustments, and I'm, I'm walking like I'm walking now. So the adjustments are much more easy and not as severe. Well, with Job, the initial adjustment was severe, but it was good for Job. It was necessary for Job because his status with God kept rising. And he needed to go back down here. So he needed a severe adjustment. Throughout Job, there, there come some more subtle adjustments as well. Some of you this morning may need a more severe adjustment. You have maybe done what toddlers do and decided you're going to elevate your opinion and perspective of your current situation, you're going to charge the Lord. You're going to get angry at the Lord. You're going to demand things from the Lord and even want to command things to the Lord. That might come out like this. If I was God, I wouldn't let this happen. At least for this long, with this many complexities and, and hurt and pain. If I was you, I wouldn't do it. That is no different than a toddler telling his parents what to feed him. God is God. He knows what he's doing. And he's not obligated to tell us why. See, we leave, live in a present age, and I, I think it, it is worse than ever, that we feel free to, in a, just a wild way, to express our views and opinions about anything and everything, even if it includes charging the maker of heaven and earth. So words, commands in the Bible like trust, submit, and obey, they seem taboo. They seem evil. Don't say submit to the Lord in the midst of a trial or difficulty. See, the danger of our times is these are all commands. These are all rich biblical ideas. Trusting the Lord, submitting to the Lord, obeying the Lord. All three will give you peace and joy in a way that you can't explain. But all three are very contrary to the age we live in. And so we need to, to bow. We need to submit. Well, in Job 40, after a whole bunch of questions that we're going to backtrack into, the Lord asks another question, another adjustment. Job 40, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. So he sits him back down in the courtroom. Job, shall you, the fault finder, question, contend? You want to fight in a verbal spar 
with the maker of heaven and earth? He who argues with God, let him answer. And then he's going to get more questions that we'll look at. But then in verse 6 it says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Dress for action like a man. He's repeating this. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you might be right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? See, he's going to ask all these questions that Job cannot answer because Job is not the living God, the maker of heaven and earth. But he's doing it for Job's good. And God wants to do that for your good today. A few years ago, as I was, I think, listening to some worship songs on YouTube, I came across this video on the book of Job. It's a song that is written by a band called Ghost Ship that is all based on the book of Job, particularly Job 38. I love that video because, one, it's thoroughly biblical. He's quoting Job over and over again. But it, it captures the idea that, that God is God and we are not. And maybe some of you this morning, you, you grapple with human suffering and it's kept you away from the Lord. It's made you bitter towards the Lord. And the, the, the book of Job deals with that in a real and honest way. And as we're going to see, it, it, it points to just like the parent who just knows more than the child. The Lord knows so much more about everything that's happening in the world than you and I will ever know. And so it, it is a call to trust. It is a call to worship. It's a call to bow. The next insight is, we're going to look at some of these questions, is insight number two. We must never forget the majesty and the greatness of our Almighty God. We must never forget and I like those images because they're of creation. But God is over creation. He is the one governing creation. And so he's going to ask some of these questions to Job. And I'm not going to comment much on them. Job 38, 4-7. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? You can put your name in there. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? His point, God's point is, you weren't there and you don't know. Another question, do you rule over creation? Verse 12 of, of chapter 38. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Is that part of your morning duties? And caused the dawn to know its place? Do you govern the morning and the evening, the position of the sun and the stars and the clouds? God's point is, Job, you need to trust me. I'm far wiser, far more knowledgeable, far more powerful, far more involved with the details of your life than you could ever know. 
Another set of questions. Are you mindful of the depths and details of creation? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep in 2,000 plus feet deep in dark cavernous parts of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanses of the earth? Declare if you know all this, Job. Tell me if you know all this. God's saying nothing happens outside of his gaze in heaven or in earth. Nothing. Job 38, 25. Who has cleft a channel for the torrents? Who has cut deep in the rocks for the, the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and the desolate desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass where no man is in barren dry places how much more Jesus even says this in Matthew 6 will God care for his children verse 31 can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion now we're in the galaxies think astronomy class can you lead forth the Mazareth which is a, a kind of constellation in its season. Or can you guide the bear with its children? He's talking about stars and constellations. Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish the rule of earth? Pick a direction in the universe, and God is fully there, fully involved, and fully aware. How much more is he fully aware, fully involved, fully present in our lives? Job 39, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Probably haven't thought about that lately, have you? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth the offspring, and are delivered of their young? So mountain goats, we're in the uninhabited places in the world, high up high altitude, in the cracks and crags of mountains. The point is God knows everything, everywhere. Connect that to your life. There is nothing happening in your life that he is not fully aware of and concerned about. Job 39, 26, and 27. We look at the sky. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Did any of us command eagles to go certain places this morning? No. Job 40, 15 and 16. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. What's he talking about? He's talking about a very large land creature. And you guys can debate this among yourselves what you think this is. I'll give you some multiple choices that I read this week. Some think it's a dinosaur. Some think it's a, a spiritual creature. And a lot of people think it's a, a, a hippop, hippotamus or an elephant. The point is, we can get kind of tied up in what it is. The point is, it's a large, grotesque, giant animal that we cannot control that the Lord can. 
He eats like an ox. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength in his, in his loins. He's got big back, powerful legs, and his power is in the muscles of his belly. He just said, look, here's this large, incredible animal. Now remember the context. His family has died. He's in intense pain. He might be thinking, this isn't National Geographic. I, I don't really care about the big giant animal that I'm not sure what it is. God's point is, I am the maker of everything. And sometimes I just make stuff because I want to. For no purpose other than I am the Lord, the maker. So the counterpart to the behemoth is the Leviathan. Job 41, 1 through 2. So the behemoth was the land creature. The Leviathan is the water version. Can you draw out a Leviathan with a fishhook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Could be a prehistoric sea creature. Could be a very large alligator. You can study and figure out what you think it is. The point is, it's a large, massive animal, dangerous, which no man wants to get near or can contain, that the Lord created and the Lord rules over. Last Saturday, I was at Raystown Lake, and we were on paddleboards, so stand-up paddleboards, and I love water, I love fishing, I love everything about it. I wasn't fishing, but I saw a bass boat in the distance, and I saw a guy had his rod folded in half. So I thought he's either stuck or he's got something really big. So I'm not real shy, so I paddled up to I'm almost touching his boat. He's like, I've been fighting whatever this is for a really long time. He had a net in one hand and a rod in the other, and he was in a boat by himself. And uh, all it was was a carp that was probably about three feet long. And he, he was sweating. He was tired. Um, I took a picture from my paddleboard uh, of, of the carp because he was excited. But I thought, as I was thinking about this passage, that's just like a little fish in, in perspective. There is nothing that God is afraid of or cannot subdue in all of creation, both in the seen world and the unseen world. See, we need to recognize how mighty and awesome the maker of heaven and earth is. Maybe some of you will like the outdoors. You'll be traveling for uh, summer vacations. Looking deep into God's creation is a great way to think about the Lord. If you're at the ocean, thinking how, how immense this is. How many creatures are probably in the water right now? That's why some of you don't like getting in the water. That part of my brain has never worked, so I always jump right in the water. But, or looking at the night sky, if you're camping and seeing all the stars, stare and think deeply about there is a God who made all this, who loves you dearly. See, there is nothing on our current list of cares and concerns that he cannot fully, completely, and totally handle. Nothing. Insight number three, we must always bow, trust, and worship our almighty God. The word bow, that's not one we 
think about a lot. We, we're not, we didn't grow up in a, a monarch, so we're not used to a king showing up and we all hit the deck and we bow. It's a very biblical and right disposition of our hearts to have one where, Lord, I submit to you. I am the creature. You are the creator. I will bow to you. I will submit to you. Lord, no matter how bad this hurts right now, I know you are good, you are trustworthy, you are powerful, and I'm going to bow. I'm going to bow, I'm going to trust, I'm going to worship because of who you are. Job had his first severe adjustment, so in Job 40, 3 through 5, he's not fully adjusted, but he's getting there. His first reply is verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. See, Job was rising. He had an encounter with the living God. Okay, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job had been doing a lot of talking. He heard from the Lord. He's done doing a lot of talking. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. See, the adjustment began. And I think for some of us, maybe some of you in the room, the issue isn't so much, is God great and powerful? And is he a maker and creator and sustainer of all things? But is he good? And does he love you? See, that's different. You could have an all-powerful being who is not good, or loving. And that's a frightful thing. So with the video we watch, with the verses we've just looked at, I want you to listen to a very familiar verse to you. And I hope, I pray that you would see it different. The God who rules over the galaxies, rules over the depths of the sea, rules over the mountain goat, rules over everything all-powerful, almighty, is this God. John 3, 16 and 17. For God, almighty, all-powerful, creator of heaven and earth, this mighty God, so loved the world, the world who hates him, mocks him, rejects him, denies him, so loved the world that he gave his only precious son, unique, fully God, fully man, perfect, innocent, not deserving of death or punishment. He gave his son for our rebellious world. That whoever believes in his son in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. If you're wondering if God is good or if God is loving, zero in on His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the one who devised the plan. He's the one who sent His Son, and He did it for you. Because God is holy. He is mighty. And the Bible is very clear. 
We either face God on our own, apart from a substitute, apart from somebody standing between us, a mediator, and we answer for all of our sins. And we get punished in hell for all of our sins. Or we receive this free gift of God's Son, Jesus, fully God, sovereign over the wind and the waves, sovereign over demons, sovereign over physical ailments, completely, fully God, fully innocent, suffered, bled, and died for you and I. That's the good news of the Bible. That's the good news that you can be assured that God loves you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. No matter what your life is like, no matter how difficult it is, God is good, God is powerful, God is trustworthy, and you need to bow, you need to trust. So here's some things that you and I can do because of Jesus. See, we have a clearer picture than Job did. He was pre-Jesus, we're post-Jesus. You can trust him with your pain. He's trustworthy. I was with a church member this week who is in intense physical pain because of a surgery. And he is entrusting himself to the Lord. He was in visible physical pain and visible spiritual peace and joy at the same time. He entrusted himself to the Lord. You can trust him with your hurt, with the sins and wrongs done to you. You can trust him to bring increased freedom in areas that you battle. This powerful God is in you if you are a Christian. And he wants to free you and give you power to change. You can trust him with every care that you woke up with this morning. And you must, you must, for your own good, just like every toddler has to learn to submit to the authority of their parents, you must learn to do it. If you wave your fist and you just keep fighting him, you're going to have a miserable Christian life. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. just means you're a miserable Christian. You're an angry Christian. You're a Christian that doesn't have the joy and peace that Christ purchased for you. And you must give him the praise that he deserves. He is mighty, but he is loving and he is good. I'm going to close with reading a psalm. And, and as I um, read the psalm, if I could have the worship team come up now. And what I want you all to think about is... When you picture that, that scene of the parent-toddler, are you, are you submitting? Are you bowing? Are you trusting? Are you thanking? Or are you just trying to have your will on all things? Psalm 8, I think, captures all of these ideas in one. The psalmist writes, he pens this incredible psalm that gets both the spectacular nature of the Lord and the frailty of humanity. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Still the enemy 
and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Then he concludes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's stand and sing to our majestic creator.